Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Thanks for being here this morning. Uh, if this is your first time here at City Collective, welcome. Uh, my name is Jason. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And whether this is your first time at church or you've been, attended church your entire life, we're in the same boat this morning at City Collective. We haven't done this before or we haven't done this on a Sunday morning for a very, very long time. I think we did something of this nature in the summer where we broke off into groups and discussed some of the things that we were talking about as a community. It's interesting. I think that often we talk about things as the church, um, grand concepts uh, that are theological, relational concepts that are based around why we do what we do. And, and sometimes it's, it's just dictation. It's, it's things that you've heard and then hopefully you talk about throughout the week. Maybe you have a conversation on the way home. But life is busy and life is full. And, and sometimes we have an interaction with an idea, but we lack the actual space to have any kind of processing and not just talking about internal processing, processing but external processing. Uh, I, I wholeheartedly believe that faith is not meant to be done alone. And, and your relationship with God is not isolated to your, yourself. We're, we're designed to do life together. And especially within Western culture, there is this propensity that we have that everything that we engage in is highly individualistic. This has seeped into our faith as well. And we engage with thought and idea, with, with struggle and with hopes from a very individualistic point of view. But Jesus invites us to something completely different. We're coming to the very end. This is the end of our series, It's Complicated, where we're talking about relationships. And we've talked about relationships from the perspective of our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our relationship with ourselves. We've heard stories of how God has reclaimed and restored individuals' relationship with themselves through the relationship with Him. Uh, last week we talked about boundaries and the importance of boundaries, how they don't just push us away from relationships, but they're actually meant to, meant to prepare us for relationships. And all the ways that we're invited into that. And this week, uh, we wanted to engage in, in some real conversation around all these different ideas. Are nice and they perhaps can sound good. And hopefully you felt a little invigorated, convicted, whatever it is that you came out of those experiences. But what would it look like to actually apply them in, in real spaces? And what would it actually look to apply them in our relationships here in church? We, we have relationships with other people, fair to say. We have a relationship, whether we know it or not, to some degree with God. But we also have organizational relationships. We have experiential relationships. We have a relationship with what we believe is the church. And so today we're going to be uh, exploring a little bit of this idea. I want to give a little bit of, a, of an overview of how this is going to feel for us this morning. Uh, you're going to hear some thoughts from me at, at the front. And then I'm going to provide some questions and you'll be provided some time to discuss it amongst yourselves. And, and hear from one another about these different ideas that we're going to be exploring. Here's some ground rules. Uh, this can be a challenging exercise for, for those that you might be sitting in the group with. Uh, previous experiences, 
maybe brand new in community. Perhaps they just don't want to talk to anyone this morning. Uh, there needs to be a sense of we are entering into this conversation with an awareness of ourselves and of each other. So there's four things I just want to have ground rules right off the bat. I want you to have a sense of self-awareness. I want you to be generous in how you communicate with one another, believe the best with, for, for one another. I want you to have a sense of listening in how you're communicating and communicate with kindness. Uh, if we can do that, I think we can explore a lot of really wonderful things this morning. So a couple things. Why, why are we even doing this? I think that it's important to understand for us as a community, I think to do a, an exercise like this is we're upholding a discipleship value of intellectual honesty. And you're going to hear us use that language every once in a while. Intellectual honesty, you're, you're going to hear it in the sense of how we talk about things on a Sunday morning. This is things like theological rigor, it's cont contextual awareness, it's transla translations and how they speak and move from space to space and culture to culture. We're, we're trying to have a deep sense of honesty about the text that is the Bible and how complex it actually is, this ancient compilation of books. That is intellectual honesty. But it doesn't end there. It's more than that. Intellectual honesty is a posture that says all of us are still learning. All of us are still learning. Whether you are speaking or you are listening, as a follower of Jesus, we are gifted with the opportunity over and over again, especially within these communal gatherings, to learn. And there is something for you to discover here this morning. And even having that posture is at the heart of what it means to invite everyone to the table. If we don't believe that we have something to learn from those around us, we are actually not inviting them to the table to sit with us. This is a heart posture. And this is going to make you better. And it's going to make the church a better place. So this is part of that. And if you're coming here on Sundays, this is part of conversation. You're learning from each other in that space. Maybe there's a pushback that you feel because you're not, you don't trust somebody with a microphone. There might be a, that sense of that as well. The spirit is not isolated to four walls. The spirit is not isolated to the format of service, of worship, to word, to prayer afterwards. This is the, the spirit is moving and at work all places, all the time. And we need to have a posture and a belief that this is true in order for us to fully receive. The person that is most Who's going to most prevent you from actually experiencing what God has for you in spaces like this is yourself. It is the own, your own hesitations and your own boundaries. Because even if, the, here's the thing. I could, I could say the worst things on the Sunday morning. You might have a conversation with someone and you could think to yourself, that was a whole lot of nothing. It is amazing to know that the Holy Spirit is able and willing to be at work and in, in the midst of anything and everything, the question is always, are you listening and willing to learn? And then imagine if we actually all had that posture, what would that look like? Um, the other piece that I, I really do feel is important for us to understand, for us to engage in something like this, this is a kingdom resistance to the, our cultural propensity for consumerism. Philosopher 
Baudrillard, he explains this. He says, consumption is a system of meaning. We assign value to ourselves and to others based on the things that we consume. The goods we purchase, the food that we eat, the experiences we stepped into, the podcasts that we've heard, the songs that we listened to, the sermons that we shared in together. We, we kind of assign value based upon the things that we consume. And it's touted as something meaningful because we've heard it or we've consumed it without any real, in, real internal or external processing. It's like an individualistic approach to faith. But for us to do this as a church, I really do believe is that this is kingdom resistance to what our culture is actually leaning into. And then finally, this is a physical invitation for what the Spirit is up to. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask uh, Biggie if you can actually, wherever you are, you're here somewhere, there you are. Great. Uh, Micah, can we just run the mic over to Biggie? And he's going to read our scripture for us this morning out of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And you can follow along on the screen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Great. Thank you. Uh, most of the activities characterized within that scripture are uncontroversial. Uh, they're often characterized as normal parts of a Christian congregational life throughout history. Teaching, fellowship, eating together, prayer, these are common Christian practices. Even like the middle two are particularly well known. If you've heard the word koinonia, this is like especially part of what we know to be part of the church's history. But these were not just mundane pieces of what it was to be the church. This was part of actually expressing this new rhythm of what it meant to follow Jesus and to do that together. And this was the early church and the response of community and culture to what they were doing was violent. There was a violent response to try and stamp it out. But I don't think that's really the response that we feel in our culture today. It's, it isn't the same manner in which we see culture actually respond to the church. So I wonder, if Christianity in the Western world is difficult, and it's different, sorry, than the difficulties that they faced back then, I want to engage with this idea. So this is what we're going to do. On the screen, we're going to put two questions, and I want you to take, we're going to put five or six minutes, and I want you to talk about these questions. What is society's biggest assumption about the church, to, church today? You can say just what is one of society's assumptions, if you prefer. And what did you assume about the church and the Bible growing up? And how have, how, how have those assumptions changed? All right? I'll be keeping an eye on the clock. Please, if you haven't yet, introduce yourselves in your groups and uh, let's, let's chat about it.
yeah, love to hear some of the feedback that came out in the room. Gabby, I'm actually going to ask you if you can run around with the mic for me. You can also respond if you've got something. I can run around. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Was, uh, was there any, any thoughts that came up? doesn't have to be anything profound. I'm just curious. What was something that maybe came out of your conversation? Uh, first question. What society's biggest assumption about the church today? Yep. In our group, we, we talk, talked about uh, the assumption the others look uh, when they see the church it being us being hypocri hip hypocrisy. Okay. And the other one is labeling us all the same, yeah. no matter which, faith, uh, which part of the faith you are. Right. So That's those good. are the two assumptions we thought. That's good. Any other thoughts? If not... It's interesting when you come across the the conversations that people have around church that don't go to church. What do they think about it? I think hypocrisy is often something comes up. Church history, singular experiences, maybe as kids, maybe they've heard from a friend of a friend. Uh, maybe it's a social issue that they feel deeply passionate about, and they've they've heard that this is how the church responds. And how quickly someone's impression of the church based upon an assumption becomes their definition of the church. I wonder even for us as, as followers of Jesus, what are, what's the, the definition of church that you hold? What's the purpose of church in, in your mind? Ephesians 2 verse 20 to 22 says, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We're going to be asking a, a quick question around the idea of the, the purpose of the church. We hear about the assumptions of the church, but what is the purpose of the church? And how does the purpose of the church perhaps overcome and push up against the assumptions that are held? But I want to talk about the biblical purpose of the church because I think this can be a wide range of ideas based upon past experiences. But what the Bible says about the church is very particular. The church is a community of people centered around Jesus. And these are a group of people who are in a vital relational connection to Jesus and with each other. And they are empowered, empowered to be a witness. The, the key piece is that final one. Jesus says very, very particularly that his people, the church, are empowered to be a witness. Now, when we think about witness, immediately we think to ourselves, this is like evangelism through and through. I got to stand on a street corner, hold up a sign, and then I am being the church. If, is that what we're saying? No. Empowered to be a witness means so much more than that. The, the book of Acts, the scripture that uh, Biggie read for us, tells us actually really specifically what the witness actually looks like. The beginning of Acts has, has the author Luke, and he gives us this story that... The people who were followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, they, they were going to be empowered to be witnesses. The Holy Spirit 
comes and then the very next story after the Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples is that Peter goes and delivers the first evangelistic Christian sermon and there is a massive response. It says 3,000 people were baptized that day and this was an incredible movement for the church in that area and it was the beginning spark that took place. That was an empowered witness. But what took place next in the passage that we read was also the empowered witness. Because you saw what the early church actually began to do as a community. They were radically generous. They were spiritually hungry. They were grateful to God. These two moments, this evangelistic sermon as well as the church coming alive, these were the two moments that were bearing witness for what the church was meant to be. It is through word and deed that witness is shown. The word, it creates and it brings into being a community of people who are being transformed by that word. And then that common life together reinforces the message and itself becomes the message. When the church is faithful to the gospel and living out the story of it, it is itself an effective witness. It is word and deed. And a big difference that we have to separate in how we think about the church is church the organization versus church the people. So often we articulate church as being a building, an organization, a place. But all of the teachings of Jesus, all of the invitations of Jesus would lead us to believe that the church is a people. The Greek word that's used often when talking about church is ekklesia. And ekklesia comes from this, this Greek idea of citizens gathering together. And if we are to believe that there is a new kingdom that has come through Jesus, then this is an invitation for the citizens of this kingdom to gather together under the king of kings, under the lord of lords, under a new rule, under a new lordship, for a new purpose, with a new way of being. That is actually what the church is to be. It, is, it can be even called the called out ones. Called out of the darkness into the light. Called out of the way of the world into the way of Jesus. This is what it means to be the church. And here's the thing. If the gospel is at work in your life as a follower of Jesus, and I'm coming after all of us this morning. If the gospel is truly at work in our lives as followers of Jesus, then it is not the responsibility of an organization to live like Jesus. If you and I are the church, then when we gather together and we hear the teachings of Jesus, and we hear the stories of life transformation, we should be kept up all night long thinking about all the different things that we experienced in that day that were broken in the world. We should be thinking about the person sleeping down the street in the middle of winter, cold, under a bridge. We should be thinking, how can we do something to change our life because Jesus changed mine. We shouldn't be waiting for the church to start a program to go give food to the needy. Should the church do that? Absolutely. But the church as the organization, that's not the responsibility. The church as the people, it is their responsibility. Should the church be generous? Absolutely. Should the church care about those things? Absolutely. 
But it is the responsibility of the people, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the citizens of the new kingdom to do the work of the church, to follow the way of Jesus, and to live out the teachings that he's laid before us. This is a distinction that we need to make. Because suddenly, if that is the distinction, you're going to find that you're far less defensive in your spirit and in your response when someone speaks out about the hypocrisy of the church. In fact, I think that we're far more likely to take accountability and responsibility for it. Yeah, we've missed the mark throughout history. The church has not been the place at all times that it needed to be. Because the people have fallen away from the way of Jesus to follow the way of the world, the way of themselves. And so we, we mourn that. We grieve that. We repent for that. But we the people who are called out are invited to be so much more. The way of Jesus isn't religious routine bound to the walls of the church the way of Jesus is a transformative rhythm that moves every area of our lives to be a witness for the Savior. So we should do the things that the early church did. We should have a posture of learning, humbling ourselves and letting our minds be renewed with a whole new story. We should be sharing. Koinonia, it means sharing your things, your time, your resources, your energy. We should be being together, investing in relationships with one another, and we should be in a space of worship. That's what the early church did, and it's simple. So we don't need to replicate the exact model, but it's the heart of it over and over again. Learning and being together and sharing and worshiping. This is what it means to be the church community, to be launched as the church into the world. The church is a community of people centered around Jesus, bearing witness in word and deed to the reality of the kingdom of God breaking into the world. So this is the section, second group of questions I would love for you to engage with. How should the church, and let's be careful to dis create that distinction, how should the church fulfill its purpose, the people fulfill its purpose? Have you seen it personally happen? How have you seen it personally happen? And what might that mission purpose look like in your own life Was there any thoughts that really resonated for your, for your group out of some of the questions that were, were asked? Anything that really stuck out? All right, here comes the mic. It's right behind you. <laughs> <laughs> we're all trying to force each other to talk. Um, in our group, we talked about overflow and about how 
um, not only the overflow of like knowing who we are in Jesus and being able to find our purpose and find our identity in him, but also what that looks like afterwards as a church of like, then it just becomes an overflow of Jesus inside of us that we can't keep in. And that can look like um, sharing our testimony. That can look like small acts of kindness. That can just look like volunteering. It can look very different, but it's all about an overflow of the confidence that we have in our identity in Jesus. Preach. It's so good. It's, it's interesting. I think that we are often quick to put someone's experience of faith in specific boundaries. Uh, they, they went to a church on a Sunday, they heard a sermon, and they responded to the sermon, put up their hand, and they became a follower of Jesus. Or they grew up in a Christian home, and they went to Sunday school enough times that eventually they, they prayed the sinner's prayer, and they became a Christian. It was, it was, there, there's like some specific paths. For, for myself, I, I can say that I grew up in a Christian home, and that was wonderful. Uh, but I really discovered Jesus for myself later in life in the context of community. It wasn't, it wasn't the, what the preacher said on the Sunday morning. It wasn't the prayer that happened afterwards. It wasn't the worship that was, was really great that I was able to be part of. It was conversations and community that took place after the service that, that reminded me of, oh, this is actually something that I'm deeply needing in my life. I should engage in this. And then you begin to have meaningful conversations that are almost, this is like one of those aspects that you see in the midst of the early church. This is sharing. You share life and, and, and story and you share responsibility and time and resources. And in the midst of that sharing, I found myself in love with Jesus. I found my life transformed. I found a hunger birth to see the church come alive because of the community that I was gifted with. That was, that was part of my experience. And so as we come to a, a close here pretty soon, I want to take a couple minutes. And I just would love if you could share in your group, what was one meaningful moment? What has been one meaningful moment that you've had in your experience of community and church? What's something that you could celebrate and give thanks for? And it doesn't, ha it, it, maybe it is that you heard a sermon or you, or you or spent time in a worship service, but it doesn't have to be just that. It could be someone's generosity. It could be time in a community group. It could be a moment where you went and served in the community. Whatever it was, I want you to take a couple minutes and share those popcorn style around your group and just encourage one another. Can you do that, please? No, in the midst of uh, a moment like this, so we're, we're having conversations, obviously, that I hope are meaningful and you get a chance to share your heart. 
Uh, sometimes when we talk about the church, though, it can be really difficult because we've had real difficult experiences. And I, and I never want to discount that. Someone has said something, done something. Uh, leadership has, has lost your trust, rightfully so, because of things that have been done. I, I remember when we were planning our, our wedding, uh, I actually asked Adriana to walk down the aisle to uh, my favorite, it's like my favorite modern day instrumental. It's by an indiv- individual by the name of Yoruma. It's called River Flows in You. And I love this song. And uh, Adriana walked down the aisle to it and I loved it even more. It was a great moment. And I've listened to it countless, countless times. Over and over again. And if you asked me to play it for you right now, you wouldn't know that I was playing that same song. Here's the thing. I took four years of piano growing up. I played in band in junior high. I learned how to play guitar in high school. I did a lot of things that would seem to say that I should be able to be able to play that melody. But despite my love for the melody, my appreciation for it, I have sometimes, I I can say that I have a difficult time replicating it. And I think this is much the same, the relationship between Christ and his church. That Jesus is the beautiful composer. That he has composed the most magnificent of melodies for all time. And sometimes the church tries to replicate it and it does not sound the same. In fact, it sounds horrific. (laughs) And then we hear that melody over and over and over again to the point that we forget the original melody of Christ in the midst of it. If you have been hurt by the church at some point in your journey as a follower of Jesus, I am so sorry. It did not deserve it. And it was not right. And it was not a reflection of the way Christ thinks of you or wants to invite you forward. My invitation to you this morning is that would you be able to Bring that hurt, that burden that perhaps you have carried for so long to a good Savior and just offer it to Him and ask Him to take it. He is able and He is willing and He wants you to find the freedom that He has designed for you so that you might be an empowered witness that the church desperately needs. The church desperately needs you. Because the kingdom is at hand. The world is in disarray, but there is a hope. And the hope's name is Jesus. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. I would invite you, if you want to pray while the song's going on, you're in your groups, pray for one another. If you feel like there's a word to share over someone in your group, please do so. Let's take time in this moment. Let's worship together as we close our service this morning. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks.
for the way that you heal our hearts and you meet us where we're at. For the things that have been done that are wrong in your name, we repent. And we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your healing. We ask for a new imagination for the kingdom to break into our minds and our imaginations and our worlds. For our, our families and our workplaces, for our, our communities and our neighborhoods to be so reflective of who you are because of what you have done with inside of each and every one of us. And if we feel lonely and isolated in this process, I just pray that we would come alongside those of like mind, alongside those who are here this morning, those who call you Lord, those who are in your church, and we would have this, this, this wave move through our community that would just renew our hearts and minds with a passion for our city to know Jesus through our empowered witness and word and in deed that it wouldn't just be left to one person or one idea or one place but it would be all people at all times living all for you Jesus that our relationships come alive in this way thank you for the covenant you have set in place for the forgiveness you have shown to us and that you want us to experience fully for the ways that our boundaries are setting off new relationships in our lives that are going to be life-giving. And for the way that your church will be your church. Be your church in this city that we call home. Let City Collective be yours. And let us take up that mantle and run with it. Let healing be in this house. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.